0: Marcus, I think we need to pull out the imbalanced time machine and go back to a time when a country got its independence. No, not 1776, 1962, and the independence of Jamaica.
1: Yeah, it was an intense time on the island of Jamaica. The people were getting ready for independence. The music was evolving as Rocksteady Scott into reggae. You had a couple of young teenagers who were making a lot of noise because their voices were so good and the songs that they were singing sounded so beautiful. And I'm talking about Bob Marley and his friends Peter McIntosh and Bunny Livingston. But we are going to focus on Bob Marley because of his importance worldwide as a musician.
0: Well, you don't get there without talking about Bob Marley and the Wailers. Bunny was like his brother, and when they hooked up with Tosh, the three of them formed a group called the Teenagers, and that was the beginning, their first step forward. That's when they met Clement Dodd coxone as everybody calls them right yep and in that time period they started to pull together what they were going to sound like within the context of ska evolving as the music of jamaica but it took major cojones marcus for a young artist to write all their own songs to go into the studio to do their first album with their friends but that's what bob marley did yeah he had help from bunny and tosh and coxone and he covered a couple things and a little help from a Lost Whaler. Junior Braithwaite was on these early recordings and we should talk about him in this episode about Bob Marley and the Wailers on the imbalance history of rock and roll brought to you by Boldfoot Socks at boldfoot.com and by Crooked Eye Brewery in the heart of Hapro pouring the cure for what ails you since 2014. I don't know when they chose the song by Bacharach and David What's New Pussycat but it's a pretty hopping version on that first album The Wailin' Wailers it was called.
2: What's
1: I was cracking up when I saw that on the song list and ended up listening to that song first and was like, whoa, these guys are pretty (laughs) good. And I was cracking up, but then reading, Coxone Dodd did not want Bob Marley doing his political and rebellious music. He loved Bob's voice and he loved the three of them together so he wanted them to be a pop group and so he had them sing these songs and the thing that blew me away the most on this album was that early Version of one love because of what it evolved into and what we know it as from our time in this world.
2: I'd really like to ask, One soul. is there a place for the old sinner uh, who has earned all mankind just to save the song?
1: So an early version of Rude Boy as well, which evolved greatly. And it's really cool to hear how their sound sort of evolved and grew.
0: When I heard the next song after Rude Boy, It Hurts to be Alone, I said, something's different about this. I don't recognize Bunny, Tosh, or Bob. So I went and looked into it, and that led me around to finding out about Junior Braithwaite, Franklin Delano Alexander, Junior Braithwaite who was born in Jamaica he sang on some of the songs on that album wrote some songs and then laughed and some said he had the best voice in the group
1: had really good voices i don't think you got in a studio
0: in those days there unless you did by the way braithwaite moved to america had a medical career lived in the the midwest in chicago wisconsin that area so that really left the trio And what a powerful trio of singers and writers and performers.
1: Another little factoid about that first album. You know how they have the images of the three guys? And I relearned this, a fact that I had known years ago. The tall guy on the right is Peter Tosh. And they used his image as the development of the Rude Boy logo for Two-Tone Records. I
0: see it. I'm looking at it, and I see it, Marcus. Good find, buddy. Look, we're always digging it. We never know what little things we're going to find or notice as we go.
1: And actually, it was the two-tone records and the specials that got me to hear Peter Tosh's uh, Legalize It album for the first time. They were the reason why I picked up that album.
0: And this album is where they worked with the Scottalites a little bit on
1: Simmer Down, one of the best songs from the early Whalers. While his music wasn't as politically focused, he still had that edge, and you could still feel what direction Bob Marley was going to go into eventually.
0: And that really starts with the next record. They start working with Lee Scratch Perry, and the album becomes Soul Rebels, their first release outside of Jamaica. When you look at the songs, Peter Tosh shines on no sympathy, his voice ringing out. As the lead voice of the Whalers on that one, man.
1: One of the things that shines about this album is the fact that you hear all three of them as vocalists, and there's no leader, there's no individuality, they're all taking turns sharing their gift and talent. And you feel it in this record. Plus, there are a couple of really fantastic covers on this album as well.
0: What starts to emerge is a pattern of great songs that you will get to know better later in future releases, live and otherwise, and re-recording too. And that continues on Soul Revolution 2, the next album, with songs like Dubby Conqueror, right? Or Kaya, or Sun Is Shining, or my favorite, which ended up with a different name on Kaya, Don't Rock My Boat.
1: I forgot about that one. It's great stuff.
0: Bob Marley and the Wailers, finding their legs, finding their musical souls together. And Lee Perry, that's one of the reasons why I think he's such a legend, is because he saw it, he pulled it together, even in ways the Coxone couldn't, and helped to meld it into this amazing force. Well, they're getting pretty full of themselves on the role they were feeling, Marcus. The best of the Whalers had no songs from any of their previous albums. They just felt like they were putting the best of the Whalers out right now.
1: So let's look at it this way. It was the best of the songs that they had written in preparation for that album.
0: Theoretically correct. Then they're working with Leslie Kong. And away we go in songs like Soul Shakedown Party, right?
1: Stop the Train, which I ended up putting on a playlist because my son loves trains, so we would listen to that in our train songs, and it's a beautiful song. Soul Captives, Go Tell It on the Mountains, Another Beauty, Cheer Up, Back Out were two other ones that I really enjoyed listening to, getting ready for this episode. Oof. And as things are developing,
0: they just keep getting bigger and more renowned outside of Jamaica as the people who have plugged into the music of Jamaica since the ska days. And like you said, with the rockers and all the different forms that it would take leading up to reggae itself, they were really plugged into what was going on down there. Then when you think about all the artists that were recording and releasing there in the early seventies into the mid late seventies, the scene was exploding. Like, the island's popularity, man.
1: Think about it. Johnny Nash was big at that time, and yeah, I forgot he him. was yes. here. I got a little story. In 1971, Bob Marley was in Sweden with Johnny Nash writing music, and when Bob Marley was done touring with Johnny Nash during a couple of months of 1971, he didn't have enough money to get back into Jamaica, so he was stuck for a while. Then he reached out to Chris Blackwell of Island Records, who gave him an Vance on his next record to get them back into Jamaica and that album that was created next was Catch a Fire
0: was the pressure on because they had to Catch a Fire outside of their existing circle I don't know But I do like the cover, man. Bob burning a long fatty.
1: Some of the songs were similar to previously recorded songs. Like they had done some other uh, recordings and prepping for albums. And then they just reworked these songs into new songs. Like, for example, Baby We've Got a Date was a reworking of a song called Black Bitter. And so they did a lot of that in the preparation for this album. But you start really feeling what Bob Marley and the Wailers are about on this album. I think this is where they take it to the next level. They make a big jump between their last record and this record here.
0: They also start compiling songs that will be part of the legendary 1975 Bob Marley and the Whalers live album at the Lyceum, including one of the songs that's on this album, Stare It Up, which Bob wrote in '67 and was a huge hit for Johnny Nash. And I guess that paid the bills for a little while there earlier in young Bob's life. That one and Concrete Jungle and 400 Years, these songs are all like following them along as they continue to record and move forward as the Wailer.
1: Concrete Jungle, 400 Years, they were staples of their live show for those many years moving forward. Also, you had songs like Kinky Reggae, which I really like, Midnight Ravers. Uh-huh, there uh-huh. was this really cool chill, but aware vibe, I guess you could say about their music he really made you feel what he was feeling and i think that was a big big draw of what the whalers did they took these anthemic grooves they used reggae to their advantage to make these powerful hooks he understood how to play reggae and make hooks with it with these lyrics and really pull people in and I think one of the reasons okay. why this album was really so strong is because it was produced by Bob Marley and the Whalers alongside Chris Blackwell.
0: Well, Blackwell stays with them in the studio for the next album. And something happens, Marcus, when they put out the album Burning. Now you look at the content, Get Up, Stand Up, I Shot the Sheriff, which, of course crossed over once eric clapton got a hold of it but other songs that were talking about what was going on burning and loot small Axe, a great song tuppy conqueror these songs started to catch on with americans who were getting the message and the album goes to number 41 on the black charts even though it didn't break the top 150 on the overall sales chart marley has established an american beachhead now he's got people in england he's got people in america hmm
1: And at this time, when he was touring England and America, big-name bands, people like Mick Jagger, Keith Richards, were going to see Bob Marley and the Wailers play. The guys from Led Zeppelin were going to see Bob Marley and the Wailers play. Eric Clapton was going to see Bob Marley and the Wailers play live when they would hit town. That
0: hit single for Clapton helped to pay the bills for Bob in a big way for a long time, man. And at this point, man, the players start to become part of the picture, too. The, the playing part of the Wailers, the Barretts, you know, Carly and Family Man on, on drums and bass, Earl Lindo on keyboards on this album. And of course, you've got Bob and Peter on guitar. Other guys would come in down the line as members of the trio left. But that's the core right there of the Wailers as they're on the precipice of breaking through in a way that i don't even know if they could have pictured but chris blackwell i think he knew that something else was happening something was on the way and moving forward their seventh album naughty dread comes out in 1974 and and jamaica's just becoming known to most people i think the songs that had hit american mainstream and british pop had helped that but also the underground especially in England. The ska underground in England was huge even then. Mm -hmm. So this music filtered out as reggae music and ska music started to become popular in places that hadn't even heard it before. And you and I, at that point, didn't even know about it because you were too young to have discovered it. And I didn't know enough about reggae to know what ska was, but we learned.
1: You have to go back and listen to the original recording of No Woman No Cry. It was written by Bob Marley. The oh. To his friend Vincent Ford So he didn't have to pay Previous label people Royalties oh wow, I didn't know that And he did that with a lot of songs Where he made sure that He gave his friends and people in the community Credit for those songs So that they could continue to feed the people in Trenchtown But if you listen to the early Peter Tosh solo It has a like harder edge reggae to it Similar to that early sound And if you listen to Bunny Livingston's you hear a lot of the island music and the island grooves as well as the reggae and it's got a little bit of a different sound and they wrote some beautiful songs
0: aside from bunny and tosh being out another face enters the picture al anderson on lead guitar and the stuff that he adds really goes a long way towards driving them to the heights that they reach as a band moving through the rest of the 70s. Also on this album, by the way, Jean Roussel playing Hammond, organ on the original No Woman, No Cry, by the way. And he also played with Cat Stevens. Hmm. Small world, right? Also making their debut on this album, the I3s, Marcus, Rita Marley, Judy Mowat, and Marsha Griffiths. Well, Marcus, we've had the hookah going the whole first half here, as we should be if we're talking about Bob Marley and the Wailers. I don't know about you, but I'm a little little dry. So I think we go and get a pint at Crooked Eye and put on a fresh set of boldfoot socks and come back and continue the saga of Bob Marley and the Wailers on the imbalanced history of rock and roll. You know, man, I've been meaning to ask you, you did the big cancer ride down the shore. How were the boldfoot socks on your feet while you were riding down there and in the rain, too?
1: Tell you what, those boldfoot socks were tough in the inclement weather. And between the boot covers and the socks, my feet didn't get stinky, wet, musty, or anything nasty like that. I did not get gnarly feet at all. Gnarly
0: feet, bad Uh, Old foot socks, feet protected, good.
1: Seriously, they felt great. They wicked the sweat out of me because we were riding and we were riding at a good pace. And
0: Only the socks are gonna wick the sweat out of you, buddy. That's all I want to (laughs) say. And you know that's one of the things they're really good at. And that helps you to get like a drier ride like between the sock and your feet when it's getting wicked away from
1: it. Oh, we sweat big time when we ride. When your feet are moving at that pace for as long as they are, you need protection for your feet. Your feet are important. You can't do what you want to do without your feet, so you need your feet protected.
0: So beat your feet to boldfoot.com and check out the wide variety and styles of socks they offer right there on their website. And don't forget to put Imbalance15 in the code box to save 15% on your first purchase at boldfoot.com. Look, they're your feet. Be bold. Thirst. It's a need, Marcus. You need to satisfy a real thirst. And what a better way than with a nice, fresh craft beer at Crooked Eye in the heart of Hatboro. And my vinyl night is moving to its permanent home the second Tuesday of the month. Come and see us. Bring your vinyl if you want or I'll bring mine.
1: You can't forget that Friday nights from 4 to 11, there's live music over at Crooked Eye and open mic night, the first, third, and fifth Mondays of the month.
0: First, third, fifth. I can't do math when I'm drinking at Crooked Eye. Well, the brews are cold and they're always fresh, always the favorites and something new on the board there at the brewery location in Hapro. Serving the cure for what ails you
1: since 2014,
0: We thank them for their support
1: of the imbalanced history of rock and roll podcast.
0: It's all about the whalers, Bob, Peter, bunny. Even after they left, it's really about the whalers. Uh, the departure of those guys, Peter went solo and I think they've done a lot, maybe more than they expected, but they all go their separate ways. And Bob kind of consolidates. Let's say that, right. And he's now running things. He's got a great band. He's got Al Anderson in, as we mentioned before. And away they go, and they're prepared for what is about to come next, which is my entry point in my record collection to Bob Marley and the Whalers. Bob Marley and the Whalers Live, simple as it could be, right? Recorded in 75 at the Lyceum Theater. What I'd like, Marcus, is the later version of that album has both nights, the 17th and the 18th. You can find it on Spotify. That's what I did. You can listen, you can hear the differences Because the album, the original album Is so ingrained in my
1: brain Wow, I did not realize that they uh, had released The second night I'm going to have to go and listen to that for sure Because this album's fantastic The version of No Woman, No Cry Is mind-blowing And it's almost as if Some sort of spiritual Magical force Took over his body And his soul during that song And he projected it There's something so special About that live version of No Woman, No Cry, it still gives me goosebumps when I hear it or when I play it. It is incredible.
0: other songs also have the same effect put on them if you will first off the recording is impeccable the sound is crystal the i3s are in full form there's a lot of things about the band now that weren't part of the band And there are things that were part of the band when they made these songs originally that aren't there now. So it's a much different thing, and it's a crystallizing of the Wailers as Bob Marley wants them. And all the songs, Trenchtown Rock, Them Belly Full, or Lively Up Yourself, all have a lot more energy than the original
1: recordings. I think one of the reasons why it sounds so good is because they used the Rolling Stones mobile studio to record it. Was
0: it parked right outside?
1: Probably. And the Stones were all probably there watching it.
0: Well, you know, Keith always... Always liked to record in Jamaica, and he had a hard time finding a place where he could do it. He tried a lot of those little studios. That's why I think he ended up at Air Montserrat.
1: Boy, did Air Montserrat offer him everything he needed. <laughs> <laughs>
0: everything. But once again, who's in the room helping to mix it and make it happen? Chris Blackwell.
1: In a lot of ways, he's a lot like George Martin, where he used the kindness approach, it seems, and the, hey, let me work with you and help pull the best out of you approach versus the Phil Spector approach.
0: And I think that Chris makes the case for his approach being the way to go, because what starts to happen next It's pretty fucking amazing, man. Rastaman vibration. The album, the song, it becomes a thing. And teenagers in America don't even know what a Rastaman is, and they like it, right? Then we found out what a Rastaman was, and we really liked it. And that thing you mentioned earlier about Vincent Ford and getting royalties to pay for feeding people in Trenchtown. Positive vibration. Roots Rock Reggae, and shared with Rita Marley, who probably really wrote the song, Crazy Baldhead, all provide funding to Vincent Ford's efforts that you mentioned earlier in the podcast. By the way, Bob also gave writing credits to Rita Solo on Johnny Was and Cry to Me, in addition to the shared credit with Vincent Ford. So he was taking care of things that way,
1: too. Making sure that the man got as little of his money as possible and he could make sure that his money went to the people. He was all about the people through peace and love. And I saw this interesting documentary about Bob, and when he was living in Trenchtown, he straight up said, if there was a problem, a man would kill a man in Trenchtown. And I had the way, I had the choice to go either way. Do I want to go that way or do I want to choose? peace and love and I chose peace and love and that's pretty fascinating
0: despite that he finds himself in the middle of a political battle between the the, the conservatives and the progressives and it's really shown well in the uh, documentary Marley which came out like 10 years ago and there's all this tension and energy and one side thinks he's on their side and the other side thinks he's on their side and there's all this stuff and there's an attempt to kill him before the peace concert that they have and he goes and appears though he isn't sure he's going to play. You see it portrayed really well in the the documentary and then he might not be playing the concert because of his wounds and he goes and performs and Mm -hmm. and you saw it. It's Mm -hmm. one of the most amazing energized performances I've seen him give on film.
1: They also did a documentary about that incident called Who Shot the Sheriff which I saw and it was wild. Michael Manley was the socialist prime minister in charge and he was making friends with Fidel Castro on Cuba, and the United States did not like it, and they had a capitalist named Edward Ciaga of the Labor Party who was going against Michael Manley, and then you had gangs like the JLP who were violent in the streets, and they were doing their drug running to America from Jamaica, and they were also kind of controlling the streets, similar to what the mafia did in the United States, and there was this concert that was supposed to happen, a peace concert that Bob Marley won. The day after he set that up or sometime right after he set up that peace concert, Manley announced that there was going to be an election and he made it a political concert to spin it as if Bob Marley was on his side. And Siaga got pissed. And so a few days before the concert, somebody tried to kill Bob Marley and a bunch of the whalers at his property.
0: And the fuss is leading up to this concert. And one night there's like a rustling noise outside. The next thing they know in the film, they say this, they see a hand come through the door and just start shooting. Bob gets shot. I think Rita got shot and somebody got shot pretty badly. Was it the manager or somebody? It could have been a lot worse, but they were trying to stop this peace concert, whoever they were. And Bob just wanted them to know like both sides, man, you gotta work it out. It was a very tense time in this brand new nation. If you think about how old they were and they were fighting for control and struggling against the people and the people's will eventually wins out. And Bob Marley stands with the people always, always had, Mm -hmm. always did, and always will be there as a point of strength for the Mm -hmm. people anywhere trying to be free and united towards living in a good way. But this was really tense, Marcus. This was as tense as it got after they went independent.
1: Very tense and very violent in Jamaica. And that violence continued a few years afterwards. But at that concert, at first, Bob was like, I'm not going to go on. I'm not going to go on. And then he decided, you know what? I'm going to go on. And he was only going to perform two songs. Ended up performing for a full hour. And at one point, he showed the crowd his bullet wounds. And at that point, I, I think is when he became a pied, pied Hyper of sorts, a spiritual leader, as well as a musician. He was somebody who was going to kill oppression and poverty with his guitar, and that's what he wanted to do.
0: You can trace the line. It's a long way back to Woody Guthrie. His guitar killed fascists, too. (laughs)
1: <laughs> and that's a beautiful thing. And then after the concert, Bob Marley exiled himself to London because Jamaica wasn't safe, and he knew that. And sure enough, after the election, Manly won, but it got really crazy violent for a couple of years. And at that time during the exile is when he began writing one of the greatest albums of all time ever recorded.
0: Before we jump forward to that, Can I point out the entry point of a key player in things at this juncture in the evolution of the band?
1: Absolutely.
0: I'm not sure if you know who Big Daddy Kinsey is or if you've ever heard of the Kinsey Report. Big Daddy is a Chicago blues man. His boys, Donald and Ralph, Kenneth, along with a friend of theirs, Ron Prince, became the Kinsey Report. And as if that wasn't enough, he also played with Albert King, you know, the king of Texas. And uh, all kinds of people like Roy Buchanan and uh, Burning Spear and Peter Tosh as well as Bob Marley and the Wailers. And he's in the Marley film from 2012 talking about those experiences. They got a lot of really good people in that film talking about it. So just wanted to make sure we mentioned one of those people like Junior Braithwaite, Donald Kinsey, one of those people that don't really get mentioned a whole lot when you're talking about the history of Bob Marley and the Wailers that next step marcus oh three little birds turn your lights down low jamming waiting in vain the title track so much things to say natural mystic the exodus album from bob marley and the James. there's a natural
1: time I heard this album, I was a little younger, wasn't sure what to make of it. I liked the music, but I didn't really understand the politics as much. And so I had to learn Because it's stone politics, yes.
0: Marcus. That's why. Because not only do you have to try to understand the politics of the politics, you got to take it from that Bob Marley stoner, Rastafarian slant. And it, it is really hard because at that point, what are you like? 10, 11 years old, 12 years
1: old? Man. 12 years old. And this album really... I think was in so many ways a pinnacle for this band because... It was like the perfect storm of creativity and musical genius all mixed into one batch. I know Time Magazine called it the album of the 20th century. That is I didn't a know that. pretty wow. huge honor. And if you listen to it, you hear the blues, you hear the soul, you hear the <laughs> funk, you hear the jazz, as well as the reggae and the ska. And yeah. at this point, this album made him the biggest musician in the world because of places like Africa where he was a god and remember Selassie from Ethiopia was a big hero in the Rastafarian religion and somebody whose philosophical advice and philosophical wisdom really carried through to a lot of people who were familiar with him and he was a big influence on many people including Bob Marley.
0: It did raise the bar as far as the band's popularity worldwide, Marcus, including the U.S., where the album went top 20. It was number 8 in U.K. On the R&B album chart in the U.S., it was 15. Number 12 in Norway, 14 in Sweden, 11 in Holland, number 20 in France, too. This was worldwide, and there were no African albums charts they just sold cassettes they just got the music out there it was the energy that people were needing and finding to propel them towards freedom from the yoke of white suppression through all the decades and centuries in africa pretty heavy stuff and this is what bob marley's sitting on it's been brewing for 400 years isn't that the song it's about it right yep. And here they are and it starts to happen in places like rhodesia which is zimbabwe yep. and south africa And that's really when the word started to spread about reggae and people started to discover the other artists involved. People who had been into Marley and the Wailers already knew about Tosh and Bunny. And they probably also already knew about Johnny Nash and Jimmy Cliff and other people who were part of the the Jamaican scene. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, here's a guy who's pulling all the forces together. He does it with Exodus and comes back with Kaya. Wow. Perhaps my favorite Wailers album. Tell you the truth it's so good man easy skankin the title track is this love he's not just singing it he's imploring you is this love is this love that i'm feeling and sun is shining and satisfy my soul after that those three songs after kaya and easy skankin one of the greatest sides of reggae ever in my opinion
1: having a bad day or you're feeling down i can assure you that if you listen to kaya from front to back your mood will change completely in fact it will probably turn around by song number two it is that good as far as changing mood goes
0: if the five songs don't do it play them again i guarantee by the second time (laughs) it'll work because it's it's just that good oh my And after that marcus i was really thinking man what's bob marley going to do next he's got everybody's attention right everybody in the whole free world is looking at what he's going to do next and the concept really kind of like blew some people away all the flags on the cover survival puts it right out there not mincing words about what's at stake for people of color or the people of africa or people in america who were brought here as slaves and their descendants, right? He's putting it all out there. We all got to get our shit together if we're ever going to make this thing right.
1: His original politics were straight down the middle, unify everybody. And his politics sort of changed as the situations around the world changed, including what he was experiencing in his home of Jamaica.
0: The first song on the album speaks to that. So much trouble in the world. Beautiful song about zimbabwe that is also one of the best songs he'd written in quite some time and maybe my favorite on the whole album is the last song wake up and live kind of a message song to everyone time to wake up and live your life so that's pretty good stuff though they are everywhere worldwide at this point everyone's waiting on bob's every utterance about things but what we don't know is that he has a problem with his toe and he didn't pay close attention to it at first i don't think because it meant not playing football soccer to those of us in the u.s and football maybe even more important to him than the reggae except for you know Nobody was going to pay him that much money to play soccer. It was that
1: good?
0: But this is about the time when the cancer shows up and it spreads. And we can talk more about that kind of stuff one another episode about Mr. Morley. But survival usually leads to surrender or uprising. And what would be the final album in his life? bob marley and the whalers uprising is released in june of 1980 what an album marcus one of my favorites in so many ways like coming in from the cold i don't know how much that song means to you but it's just so goddamn good
2: in
1: That's one of those songs that I forgot about until I re-listened to the album, and I was like, what a powerful song. But this album also created a song that is played by so many people today because it continues to hold so much relevance, and that's the very last song on the album, Redemption Song. All
2: pirates, yes, they rob, I. sold I, to the merchant ships. Minutes after they took I From the bottomless pit But my hand was made strong By the end of the Almighty We forward in this generation Triumphantly Won't you help to sing Is all I ever have. Redemption songs. Redemption songs. Redemption songs.
0: When he placed it there at the end of the album, he knew he was sick, but I don't think he thought he was going to die. Later, it became kind of poignant that it was there, don't you think?
1: Very much so, and I agree with you. I think he thought he was going to beat his cancer. Another great song on there, Zion Train, which is powerful.
0: And don't forget, Could You Be Loved, Marcus. It's not only played on a lot of radio stations, especially in the uh, non-com universe. You know, where The people who play a lot about Marley play this one a lot. And the thing that's neat about it is it was an experiment that they tried on an airplane when they were flying i guess between gigs or something and it worked out and it turned out to be maybe the most memorable song on this whole album as far as like radio and people singing along because no matter how much you might love a song like redemption song and we both do oh. a happy song is always more fun to listen you nice. know marcus they only released one album after bob passed in 1981 the album Confrontation and it's an interesting collection because it's stuff that they had previously released or things that weren't finished things they were working on but the lasting song the most memorable song on the album buffalo soldier gets played by just about every rock station that plays bob marley (laughs) yep and that went back to 78 during the sessions when they probably would be recording kaya so this album has all different kinds of roots and some great songs that i love so much like give thanks and praises is really great chat down babylon jump naya all good stuff
1: i love this album and Enjoyed being able to revisit it after many years of being away from it. And man, up and down, this guy's music hits you in different ways. And it is so powerful. And you just feel good listening to reggae. You just do.
0: There's a show on Princeton University Station, and this guy plays all kinds of stuff on Saturday afternoons sometimes. I'll listen. Uh, if I get home from work, and I'm just kicking back, you know? And it does. It just takes you places, and it helps you to relax. At least it does for me. And me it's too. not just because I'm smoking the chiba, bro, one of these days... I want to go to the nine mile marcus i love jamaica and i want to go up and i want to see the place where his body is because to me it's more than just a rock star's burial place it's something special special place special man and the things that he enacted in this world continue to change things may not always be visible but things are changing and not all for the bad
1: He was definitely a prophet of change, and the way he spoke up for the people with his guitar and with his songs was a whole special kind of powerful.
0: started his own thing. In 1970, he started Tough Gong, and the whole point was to build infrastructure to preserve the reggae community and culture including his own by the way his son Ziggy's done a pretty good job of running that whole thing as an offshoot of what the deal was with island and Bob was smart early on he realized what he had and he had Blackwell agree to making tough gong part of the arrangement and it's done a lot more than naming a friend who does good works as the benefactor of your publishing rights it does work every day both about the music and to help the people and has a whole roster of releases most of them are Marley family related but check it out at tough gongworldwide.com it's an important part of the story because it's bob before it was trendy taking control of his shit man
1: he had a very smart business sense and i give a lot of respect to chris blackwell for being a decent human being and seeing bob's vision and allowing bob to complete his vision or to enact his vision without stepping on his toes or corporate squashing him like it's something that happens in the corporate world and respecting him much respect respect
0: It's a salvo from the research department, Marcus. That concert we were talking about where Bob appeared after being shot was called the Smile Jamaica Concert. By the way, Smile Jamaica became such a popular term because of the concert series that they have. There's actually a morning TV show somewhere on the island called Smile Jamaica. So it's part of the culture and a part of the tense history of the politics of Jamaica where the music was involved. Thread it all through with Bob Marley and the Whalers, our subject this week, uh, always in the middle of a lot of things. And then in some cases, just trying to help things through, help the work things out. But always Marley was in the middle of it because people respected him like Chris Blackwell did. But on a bigger scale, because it affected everybody in the country they all love, even if they didn't have agreeable politics.
1: What a concept! Totally. And he was truly a man of the people. And two other facts about that uh, One Love Peace concert a bolt of lightning hit the stadium during one of Bob's dances that night when he just totally went in tongue, or uh, I guess you could say got completely lost in the moment. Also, there were many people on the island that night who say, that at that show and after that performance bob marley became a shaman
0: wow it's more than just being a musician to him and to the people of jamaica and and the people in other countries like zimbabwe man i wish that he was still with us we could use his voice we really could you know
1: his songs are still relevant today
0: And what we should probably do in a future episode is dig into the albums a little deeper, talk more about the songs, maybe expose more of the music here on the podcast than we can afford to do today, not financially, just time-wise, because we can't do it all in one episode, apparently, unless you really go
1: long. One last deep thought before we wrap it up. It's Deep Thoughts with Marcus Goldman. Nobody knows Bob Marley's real birth date. His passport lists his date of birth as April 6th, 1945. The Rastas believe that like Haley Selassie, Robert Nesta Marley was never born. Therefore, he cannot die.
0: I don't think there's a joint big enough to get me to the point where that'll make sense, Marcus. But, you know... Everybody's entitled to faith in whatever form they find it, man.
1: The Rastas claim they are the lost tribe of Israel.
0: Well, we didn't even get into the commonality. They they do. If you go to toughgong.com, buddy, you'll see it's an etching of Bob's Mm -hmm. face superimposed over the Star David. Mm -hmm. They are the lost tribe. They believe that. That's why Selassie's important because his bloodline flows from the leaders of those days who were the, from the, the, you know, David Swoboda yeah. technically Jewish
1: Well the right? Ethiopians have a Jewish population the Falasha Jews
0: You know we've been talking for a while buddy and and somehow even though I know we're doing good work here and and informing some people about Bob Marley and the Whalers maybe stuff they don't know and all I feel like we're coming up short and maybe it's because the topic is just so large
1: There's so much to dive into with Bob Marley. There's so much unknown about him. There's so many contradicting stories and so many truths and untruths that can be sorted out and he with all of his albums has so much depth and so many layers to him that it would take multiple episodes of different subjects or themes to really dissect Bob Marley.
0: You know, I'd love to do is dig into those early days, you know, when it was just the three of them and maybe when Junior was involved, and really talk about the music and what was going on more and maybe take some time to talk about the Marley family, both about all the kids and all the moms and uh, how that whole thing works as far as tough gong and how they all have built this legacy for a man that we all adore you know it's as simple as that
1: I wish we could do a better job enacting his message because I think there's a lot of truth to his message and I think we as humans can learn a lot from his words and his music.
0: Maybe having people on the podcast who knew Bob or met him and talked with him would be a help. Maybe we get Chris
1: Blackwell on here one of these days, buddy. I've emailed him twice.
0: (laughs) You're gonna get a cease and desist.
1: (laughs) Not until I hit three.
0: (laughs) From the research department, fellas, you forgot something about Bob's time in Wilmington in Delaware. Well, we didn't forget it. We just didn't want to get too far into it. That's when he married Rita Anderson, who became Marley, and moved with her mom whilst working at the Chrysler plant in Wilmington as a forklift operator, and then as a lab assistant at DuPont, which is a huge employer in Delaware, under an alias. Did you ever hear about this? Donald Marley. Wow, you came across I didn't even know what they are talking about. Anyway, but uh, when he moved back to Jamaica, that's when he started living as a Rasta, and then that's when he split with Coxone. It was all over money, and I mean, that was part of the reason why he went up to Delaware anyway. Not too far from where we live here, near the Dark Doc Media Studios in the Philadelphia region. Well, that's going to do it. Well, if you've got some thoughts on this week's episode that you want to share, feel free to email us, imbalancedhistory at gmail.com. And if for any reason you're having a hard time getting us through the app you normally reach us through or access us through, feel free to let us know about that in an email as well. And you can always get all the episodes on our website, imbalanced history.com
1: don't forget to follow us on social media we are on facebook and instagram at the imbalanced history of rock and roll and we're on twitter at imbalanced histo
0: well it's time for us to kick out of here marcus and get fired up so let's do that until the next time we get together here and talk about something interesting to us at least i'm ray Coop.
1: i'm marcus goldman
0: (laughs) and this is
1: the imbalanced history of rastaman vibration